This is Horsepower Happenings. Every once in a while, you get to the racetrack, and that pesky little bug crawls up and bites you, and you go, man, I ought to dust off my driver's seat. No, I'll I'll never go back. uh, I'll never go back to full-time racing. I'm too old. I mean, there's there's some guys older than me still doing it. God bless them. Distinguished news, industry insight, and exclusive interviews. We wrapped it up at the end of last year. I will tell you this. We are going to run. You're the first person that's actually been told this officially. With Zach Heiser. Here comes Jared Horstman to the inside. He's got Max Stambaugh picked off. He's around Chase Ryan now. Jared Horstman up to third down the back straightaway. And Rich France. The number 11 Hilliker machine does have a flat right front tire, uh, some body damage. He may be able to come down into the hot pit and uh, replace his tire and get back out. Michigan Short Track Racing Authority. This is Travis Stemler. Joe Westbrook, driver of the Hills Racing 47 This is Barry Marlowe. This is 14-time ARCA champion Ron Allen. This is three-time dirt car UMP national champion Rusty Schlink. And this is Horsepower Happenings. Good evening, race fans, and welcome into Horsepower Happenings on a snowy, icy, and freaking freezing Mr. Bigglesworth Monday edition of Horsepower Happenings. Uh, good evening. Lots to talk about. Great big interview tonight coming up with, uh, an, uh, if you're a fan of open wheel sprint car racing in the Midwest, you may already know who this young man is, but you're going to want to keep your eye on him as the future rolls around. We'll tell you why coming up. But first, let's get into what's happening in a Motor City Minute. Venturini Motorsports officials announced today that Corey Heim and Jesse Love will share the seat of the number 20 Toyota Camry during the 2022 Arkham Menard season. Love will be responsible for the majority of the season, while Heim, he'll pilot the car six times in addition to a partial Camping World Truck Series schedule for Kyle Busch Motorsports. There's a new driver chasing the USAC Silver Crown title in 2022. Benton, Illinois driver Shane Cockrum will battle in the BLS Motorsports entry. The four-time Silver Crown winner now is going to prepare to run all 11 events, dirt, and pavement. The pavement is the area where he's going to need some work. He is hoping to catch a title in 2022. And how about St. Charles, Missouri driver Gordy Gundaker? He made some waves at the Dome this year. He made waves at the Dome last year. He's been seen in victory lane at late model events across the country. Now he's going racing with the World of Outlaws in 2022. Gundaker will join Max Blair, Kyle Hammer, Gary Dillon, and Tanner English as Rookie of the Year contenders. Those things and so much more happening tonight on Horsepower Happenings. Good evening. Welcome in. I'm Zach Heiser. Rich France joins me from across the way. Good evening to you, sir. Yeah, it's cold over here too, Zach. Don't feel bad. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you what, when the thermometer hits single digits and the pickup doesn't want to start, that's when you know it's chilly in Michigan. Well, you know what? On the bright side, this is the first time that's happened so far. I don't recall it getting that cold. You're right. But, uh, you know, I, I went out there and I cleared the pavement, which and now my pavement looks nice. And hopefully in a couple of days, this little two or three inches that we got over here on the east side of the state will be gone. Yeah, it won't be a big deal. Uh, Happy New Year, by the way, to all of those uh, tuning in. Happy New Year to you as well. Glad that we can help you ring in 2022. And Rich, uh, we're going to talk about it in the upcoming calendar, which will come up toward the end of the show. We've also got Gary Did You Know answers tonight. That interview with Darren Nida. We're, what, three weeks away from the kickoff of Speed Weeks down in Florida? And that really gets our season rolling. Yeah, I think the end of the month they they start some dirt car racing down south, right? Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, that it's we're almost there, Zach. <laughs> it's it, almost I mean, time. It it just seems like it just seems like it was a you know a few weeks ago we were at Nashville, right? I mean, I it know. doesn't seem like that long ago, uh, but it's already been two months, and now we're you know you get through January. That's the longest month to me of the whole year. Yeah, it just takes forever, um, and then you get into February and boy everything just ramps up and there is racing found everywhere once you get into february yeah man and uh i tell you what the the new year this year we rang it in and then we kind of wanted to ring it right back out uh some sad news from a diff a couple of different corners of the racing world this weekend well zach this is three weeks in a row i think we we've had to lead our show off with this and um it really is disappointing and this one really hits hard close to home to our dirt track friends uh from around the state of michigan in our region cj rayburn the renowned chassis builder and the inaugural member of the national dirt late model hall of fame passed away uh rayburn had been fighting pneumonia caused by covid 19 he was hospitalized early last week and he passed away on saturday rayburn established cj established uh, cj rayburn race cars in 1976 
primarily uh, he built race car engines, but then Zachy saw a need for better race cars and began building his own line of chassis. Through the years, cars built by Rayburn won the World 100 down at Eldora an incredible 13 times. C.J. Rayburn, Zach, was 80 years old. And, you know, uh, we posted about that on our Facebook page, and uh, Rand Thompson, a great photographer, great friend of the program, uh, he commented that C.J. wasn't the only big name that passed away in, in motorsports. Uh, over the weekend, Dennis Lampman, uh, who was a, a, a big driver in ASA back in the day, uh, you'll remember that uh, you know he was he was a, a challenger, right? Uh, tell me about Dennis Lampman. What do you know about him? I, I remember the name, but I mean, I, I didn't follow ASA a ton. Okay, um, back in the day, um, you know, I know I followed it just a little bit, but not a not a whole lot. I mean, I felt when I was. I think the, I think the when I followed ASA, I was younger in my younger days uh, when Mark Martin and Mike Eddy yeah. and, and Rusty Wallace ran ASA. Um, that was my era. Well, the one thing I can tell you, just with doing a little bit of research, is that he was a former ASA winner at Berlin, um, and uh, he was always uh, referred to as you know like the gentle giant and and that sort of stuff so um he passed away so sad news out of the asa world sad news out of the dirt world to kick off 2022 just kind of a bummer all the way around yeah zach i'm i, I wish we didn't have to keep going through this but i think as we, as long as we have this problem going around that we're not quite done yet unfortunately but um just pray for everybody everybody got to be safe look out for yourself man because um too many of these over the last year, I think, Zach. Well, let's talk about some things that are coming up and that are going to be happening in the racing world. How about sprints on ice? We're about a month away from the events, and we found out about this through the uh, Facebook world. Uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, curveball, just in time for the new year, we get some details. February 25th through the 27th. I'm going to be making a trip to West Houghton Lake, uh, and if I'm complaining about nine degrees today, I'm going to need to layer up because we're going to be racing on Houghton Lake. The Great Lake Super Sprints, they'll be in action uh, along with, uh, I think they're going to do some stuff with the Lightning Sprints as well. Sprint cars, street stocks, and four-cylinders all scheduled to race on Houghton Lake. Uh, the, the circle track portion of the weekend will be Saturday. So Friday will be test and tune and, and parking and all that sort of stuff. Saturday is circle track racing, racing cars only. That'll start at 11 a.m. And then for, for those of you who like the other kind of ice racing, Sunday, they'll have go-karts, mini wedges, ATVs, side-by-sides, and more. Uh, that'll be on Sunday. So details available on the Great Lakes Super Sprint Series Facebook page, or you can contact 989 989- Two zero two five two three one for more information, and I'm uh, I've got to tell you, I'm kind of looking forward to going up there. I like ice fishing, so I think I'll really enjoy ice racing. Now, I, I have to say, I'm a little bit of tongue in cheek here, Zach, but most of most of the fans that are listening, and, and any of them that know you, would think, well, oh, he I doesn't need to bundle up. For I nothing, should have right? plenty of insulation, but no, my I'm friend, not- at nine degrees, you're going to need to pack <laughs> on some more of those cheeseburgers you love. All right. I think I can do that. Hey, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so join us February 25th through the 27th. That's just a little over a month away. Uh, West Houghton Lake. So come on up and see it, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. What else is going on? Well, Zach Rackley War Racing announced late last week that Josh Berry, we talked about him moving up from the late model stock class to uh, to drive for junior motorsports. Um, he wheeled the team's number 25 in the Camping World Truck Series entry for most of 2021 will make his super late model debut for the team at Speedfest coming up later this month at Chris Motorsports Park in Cordial, Georgia. Barry, who will compete full-time in NASCAR's Xfinity Series, like we had said before, with JR Motorsports in 2022, will also be making his first super late model start in Rackley's equipment. Uh, Team co-owner Willie Allen said uh, to have Josh in a super late model will be a great opportunity for the team and says that they hope to add more events with Barry throughout the 2022 season. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, I think that this is another one of those things that uh, you, you, you're you going to keep your eye on. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's what more can you say? you got to keep an eye on it uh, because this guy's going to want to come back and do more short track racing, even though he's got Xfinity stuff going on, right? 
Yeah, I would have. Yeah, and and a lot of the guys that we run into do that, right? So Chandler Smith, uh, winner of the Snowball Derby, full time truck ride, right? Right. So, and, and I would have thought I did learn though. I I was very surprised uh, doing research for that. That um, I would have thought that running late model stock down in North Carolina, he would have run a super late model at one time or another before getting into a truck and before getting in the Xfinity series that I, I would have just assumed that he ran a super late model somewhere, but I guess not. This may be a discussion for another show, uh, and it probably is, but I've also been curious about that, and I know we have some listeners from the Mid-South. Why is there not crossover from late model stock racing and super late model racing? What is the big difference, and why is there not that much crossover in it? I don't know, Zach. I, I mean, I watched a couple of the late model stock races uh, from – from down south that they, um, you know, had on flow racing and, and they don't look like super late models. They're close. They have higher right. roofs, uh, you know, more of a stock looking car. Uh, I don't know that any, I, I don't have anything around this area that it compares to, I guess. Um, I don't know if late model sportsman is accurate. I right. think they're probably a little more, they have a little bit more than that on in those late model stock cars down south. But they definitely do not look like a super late model, I'll tell you that. No, not at all, for sure. Hey, let's talk about something else that's going on. Uh, you want to talk, we talked ice racing, uh, which I guess is the alternative to racing indoors. Well, the alternative to ice racing is heated indoor racing, and and I'm okay with that. Tulsa shootout's time. Uh, they got the Tulsa shootout wrapped up, so now they're talking about, uh, you know, they're working on getting the midgets brought in, but we want to talk Tulsa, um, living on Tulsa time. You know how it is. How about this? A couple of Michigan boys made the trip. Bobby Elliott went out there. So did Darren Nida, keeping an eye on what they were up to. And um, so the Michigan guys in uh, in their respective classes, stock, non-wing, from the C-Main, Darren Nida uh, starts 11th, or I'm sorry, starts 6th. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me try again. Going from 11th to 6th, and then in the A-class, Nida again, 4th in the B-main. He went 7th in the B-main from 10th, but he got caught up in an accident, flipped in the qualifier, and that put him in the back of the B. Bobby Elliott, 14th in that C-main. How about Darren Nida working the alphabet soup in the A-class wing? I want to mention that again. 4th in the B-main, just a couple of spots out of a transfer, working that alphabet soup that is impressive you know how hard that is to do uh, especially down there at tulsa and and i really want to you know talk to him about that when you know in a little bit um that is just unbelievable and and i think you know we'll find out more from darren but i think that really depends on a lot of luck don't you think that <laughs> i mean when you're <laughs> racing with that many people luck has to be involved so let's talk about some other things uh, darren and bobby congratulations on nice runs out there thanks for representing the mitten how about stock non-wing emerson axum got the win over alex bright also while we're doing this i want to say thanks to our uh, correspondent Derek bean for keeping an eye on this all weekend and putting this uh, little stat sheet together for us jeffrey newell got the win over a axum at the line in the outlaw non-wing then it was craig ronk from warsaw indiana not too far away. He dominated the outlaw wing class. And in the A-class wing, Jake Hagopian? Hagopian? Hagopian. Hagopian. You got to put the emphasis on the O. He yeah. held off none other than Christopher Bell and Tyler Courtney to get the win. And then a lot of folks were really intrigued, Rich, by what Kyle was doing down there. And I'm not talking about Larson. How about KB? Kyle Bush down there running some dirt. What would you think of that? Yeah, well, I, I don't know how... I don't know that he'd ever done – has he ever done that before? I don't remember him being in a micro sprint before. I don't know about that specifically. He does have a very, very limited dirt background. Uh, but, of course, his son Braxton is is into these outlaw carts and that sort of stuff. So what better way to understand what your kid's doing than to do it with, you know, with Dad? Yeah, he did He did all right. He, um, in his first heat race in the outlaw non-wing, he went from eighth to first. He just, like, walked around him. And, and I was like, well, where did that come from? Right. You know, because I had I had watched him in a couple of practice sessions when they had had those on the and it looked like he was learning. But obviously, um, as good as he is, he can learn anything fairly quickly. Uh, still finished ninth in the outlaw non wing, so didn't transfer. And in the outlaw wing, uh, eighth in the B main, so he didn't transfer out of, out of that as well. But um, you know, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, he ran everything they did there and didn't make any of the shows, but I. I think it took him a while to kind of get used to everything, you know, um, 
and maybe some of the, I don't know how it worked. I mean, that sure in that heat race, those passing points sure helped him going from the back to the front, right? I think one of the most interesting stories out of this whole Bush family being down there was Brexton, who in the junior sprint C-Main went from 13th to 4th. Uh, I'm sure he won the C-Main and then went from 13th to 4th in the B-Main. He turned down a promoter's provisional. I want to get your thoughts on this, and then I'd like to share some as well, of Brexton turning down a promoter's provisional to one of the biggest indoor races he ever will run in to date. What were your thoughts on that? Okay, for, my first thought is there is no way Brexton turned down that provisional. Um, Dad turned down the provisional, and my opinion would be ain't no Bush ever taken a provisional. Okay, we're, that, we're going to make we're going to make the show. Uh, you know, we are the Bush family. We're some we're of racing the best our way in. in the world. We're racing. We're either in. We don't take handouts. Okay. That's my opinion. Now, the other part of this, we're close on opinions. I was, I've was i watched some interviews with KB where he talks about letting Brexton really set the tone for their race team, and they race if he wants to. And uh, But there are also some times where Kyle has to be a dad, and if Brexton screws up and, you know, does something bad, he misses qualifying or whatever, and, and – so he'll start at the back of a heat race or what have you. I think Brexton may have been a pretty heavy influence on this decision, but here's here's where I'm a little... Take the provisional, okay? You've earned it. You've earned a chance to start this race for whatever reason. It's Well, it's because he's a bush. He went from 13th to 4th in that heat race. You don't think that he's selling tickets? Uh, you know, you don't think he's catching people's attention? Um, well, he, but the only reason the promoter wanted him to start that race is because of his namesake. Ah, but does it have a little bit to do with it? Sure. Would but, Jimmy Smith have gotten a provisional? What, did he go from 13th to 4th in the B-Main? I don't think did that he, has anything to do did, with it, Zach. That's did he my win opinion. the C-Main? You think it was all <laughs> namesake? Well, I don't think all of it because we, if, if it was if it was that, that was the case, we'd have a bunch of loaded names in the outlaw wing and outlaw non-wing races, you know, yeah. getting provisionals that didn't make it in. I think Brexton should have taken the provisional. I think that in racing, you take what you can get and a win is a win. And if somebody wants to put you in their feature, you go take their gosh darn money. <laughs> or, or was Kyle upset that he didn't get a provisional? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe offered, <laughs> offered one. Maybe dad said, now, wait a minute. Brexton can have a provisional if I can have a provisional. And the <laughs> right. promoter said, Okay, see you later. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this was a, a an, an historic weekend. 1,661 official entries over six classes down in Tulsa. And uh, the field was stacked as well with all these divisions. We had drivers like Brady Bacon, Tyler Courtney, Blake Hahn was there, of course. Uh, Tanner Thorson, Ricky uh, Thornton Jr., Kyle Busch, as we mentioned. Christopher Bell also mentioned. How about Brett Moffitt? And, of course, Haley Deegan was there as well. So uh, really some star-studded talent there. And Rich, we're not even to the big one yet. That was just that was just for some drillers. That wasn't even yeah. Chili Bowl stuff. Yeah, wait till we get to next Monday and we preview um, the Chili Bowl. Wait till the names that we start discussing that are showing up to this thing, Zach. Absolutely. It's going to be unbelievable. Time for our featured interview tonight, and this young man is capturing a lot of people's attention in the dirt world, and in fact, uh, we're getting a chance to see more of this young driver, kind of. Uh, last year we did, and I've got a sneaking suspicion we might see him more as the season wears on. Rich France, let us know who we're talking to tonight. Well, Zach, uh, got a birthday coming up, I think. We can wish him a happy birthday early. Uh, he's got one coming up next week. Uh 15-year-old, 15 years old for another week, uh, makes his home in Adrian, Michigan. He just made his way back from the Tulsa shootout. Darren Ida, welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Hi, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. All right, before we get into this big old Tulsa shootout thing, because I got to watch some of it, and boy, was there a lot of racing going on the last week or so. Um, you drive a micro sprint. Kind of explain to our listeners they look a whole lot like a sprint car, but tell us the differences uh, between a micro sprint. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much like a full-size sprint car, just uh, just downsized a little bit. And then the engine portion is a lot different. They're chain-driven uh, crotch rocket 600s. Um, so we run Yamaha R6s straight out of the bike. So just by my limited knowledge of that, I would say that's probably more along 
the lines or exactly what it is of a Great Lakes Lightning Sprint, right? Um, yeah, kind of. Those are thousands and twelve hundred. These are um, six hundred. Now, you actually ran uh, one of your cars with the Lightning Sprints last year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, we went out to Track City for a night just because it actually started out as just an idea that my uncle Steve had when we were on the way home from a race down in Indiana, just wondering if we could keep up because they're a little different. They, they have a little more power than us. Now, so it's interesting because that's how it was presented to us at the driver's meeting is we're going to have a micro sprint here, 600 cc's or whatever. Uh, we're just testing this to see if it'll even be competitive. Darren, you want to explain to the class why you went out there and just absolutely put on a clinic with that thing? <laughs> um, yeah, so we kind of had had a little bit of a game plan going into it. It was just going to keep my keep speed up as much as I possibly can and stay as straight as smooth as possible. And then we figured we might be a little bit slower in qualifying and maybe the heat race, but when it comes to feature time, that place usually gets pretty slick. So we thought our odds, the odds might be in our favor. And, and I guess on a track like that, when it does slick off and you can't use all the throttle, that probably kind of plays into your advantage with about half the horsepower, right? Yeah, it really played into our advantage just because a lot of the guys in front of me that started in front of me, I guess, um, were spinning, spinning up tires, getting into one, especially on the initial start, and kind of slid up the track, and I tried to open my entry up more and turn down the banking and just come out underneath him and carry as much speed as possible. It was impressive to me. I mean, the car is smaller, but the horsepower is less, and the engine size was less, um, but just the way that you were ripping around there uh, was was really impressive, and and to the general fan, I think was a little bit surprising. Were you surprised at all at how well you did against those thousand CCs, or was that kind of what you were expecting? I was I was kind of surprised. I figured we might run mid pack or so, and went out and qualifying and was second quick. So that was pretty surprising to me. Um, I figured that we were going to be more mid pack at least at least until later in the night, if not the whole night. But we were, we just had a lot of speed out of the gate, and my Uncle Steve had that thing dialed in. Darren, I did notice uh, when I was doing a little bit of research, you, it doesn't seem to me, and, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, that there are a lot of tracks that run that in Michigan. And, and you have to travel quite a bit in the summertime, don't you? Yeah, we have to travel quite a bit. There's one track that is uh, in Michigan that I know of anyway. Um, that's Jackson Speedway. It reminds me a lot of uh, Butler. It's kind of like a mini Butler, and uh, they don't get a whole lot of cars. And the last two years, it was shut down, and this year it opened up for uh, at like a eight race schedule, maybe. It's just off and on. Um, so most of our racing is done in Indiana, and they got quite a few tracks down there. And we venture over to Illinois and. We go down to Oklahoma every once in a while, so we do quite a bit of traveling. Watching the Tulsa shootout, which is a little bit different for if you if you if anybody wants to sit down and watch it, uh, I noticed that a, there were a lot of cars come. It seems like they come from the Northeast, or like you said, uh, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Oklahoma, that area. Is is that about right? Yeah, um, it's kind of spotty where they race them. It's not really all everywhere in the country it's like they have those hotbeds uh which is like they got it's pretty big in california it's pretty big in pennsylvania it's pretty big in oklahoma and texas and that's pretty big in um indiana and illinois um they race they race quite a bit of other places but that's really the main hotbeds that i know of I want to uh, kind of figure out, this is going to be like a three-part paint the picture with Darren Nida, so uh, hang on for this. First off, as long as I have been following you, which admittedly has not been all that long, past couple years or so, um, it has been, you know, you have been putting on clinics with your micro sprint, and and maybe I'm overusing that word, but my goodness, uh, you've had a lot of success. You've been going out to Tulsa for a couple of years, and and really, um, when you look at what Tulsa is, you're having success out there. What is it about micro sprints for you 
that you have been able to figure this division out and you've been able to run competitively almost anywhere in the country? Well, to start out, it's really it's really a good car to learn in. Um, you can pretty much take it anywhere you want to go on the racetrack and do you're in control of it. It's not like a sprint car where it wings over a wing sprint car where it wings over getting in the corner and you're kind of just along for the ride. Um, you can kind of control more what you're doing when you, when you want to do it. So that just watching sprint car racing for my whole life and being around it my whole life, I feel like that kind of gave me a little bit of advantage just going into this whole deal and kind of, I already had some of them fundamentals, fundamentals in my head just from watching my dad do it for so long. And I feel like that helped me out a ton along the way. And, and why micro sprints, I guess, is part two of the question. Uh, there's a lot of different progressions that you can go through the sport, uh, you know, go-karts and, and quarter midgets. And uh, then there becomes the question of where to go from there. But given your family background, I think the answer is pretty easy. Was micro sprints just the natural place for you to go? Yeah, um, I was kind of getting to be where I was going to be too old and and close to like when we were, if we were going to do quarter midgets, I was going to be too old for that. And go karts, I think would have been a good place to start too, just because it's pretty good fundamentals and everything. But um, micro sprints was just what made sense for us at the time. Um, my dad was racing three sixties in Canada almost every week. And his car owner, Miles Hill, actually had one of Alex's cars for sale. So that kind of played a big portion in the going into micros. So we got that in 27, at the end of 17 and just kind of did some races at Jackson. And then the next year, we kind of, my dad retired and we started to hit it pretty hard. And, and that's kind of the third part of this paint the picture is, uh, people may be thinking, Darren Nida. Okay, now wait a minute. Nida, he keeps saying Uncle Steve. Uh, man, you have some very, very successful um, members of your family, whether it is the Nida name or whether it's the Irwin name. Uh, talk about that and their contributions to your success here so far. Yeah, um, my dad raced sprint cars for 20 years in Michigan and Ohio and in Canada quite a bit and then my uncle Steve he's been a big part of this too he raced a lot of non-link so when we went to do some non-link stuff in 2019 in the micro he was he kind of played a big part just kind of coaching me on how to how to get the handle off the whole non-link side of things and then sprint cars and racing's just been a big part of my life ever since I was born and even before that my whole family my grandpa raced for a while and my great-grandpa raced before that in the 1950s. So it's kind of a family tradition. Now let's talk a little bit about the Tulsa shootout because I don't think, in my opinion, unless you've been there, you have no clue what you're up against when you arrive out there. Now Zach and I figured out last week on the show over 1,300 micros showed up. Am I correct? Yeah, they ended up with 1,700 entries in, in the classes I was running. It was... um it was about 400 entries in each class. and it's, Unreal. It's a pretty tough deal. <laughs> that is, it, oh man. I know. That's, that's let's, what let's I was going to say. Let's that. just break this down for a minute. A good night at your local short track is 130-plus cars in the pits. Okay? And that's across what? Six divisions? That's a good yeah, night at your local short track. This is These are unreal numbers. Yeah. It's a ton of cars when you go down there and just before the whole racing deal even starts on loading day, it's just crazy seeing all the different cars come in from all the way across the country. I mean, the last two years, there were even people from Australia and New Zealand and Canada and the UK. There's people from everywhere. Now, now I have an opinion just from what I've watched, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, I noticed what they do is a an, an unbelievable amount of track prep. And they do it at the most inopportune times. So, how much of that is luck to get to the end? Yeah, um, just the odds aren't really in your favor going into that deal. It's it's 
like a huge accomplishment just to even make the show on Saturday night, which I haven't been able to master yet. So, um, and track prep, all that stuff, it's gotta be, it's gotta be in your favor just to even make the show. I mean, going in there with 400 other people, it's, it's insane. Now, Let's stay on the track prep thing for just a minute because I I watched it for a few nights and every few races they would do something. They would water the bottom or they would cut the top and, and throw some water up there. And it really depends. How do you set your car up when you don't know what kind of a track you're going to have? Because once you get down in that chute, you're pretty much stuck with what you have, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much bring the tire pressure gauge up and a half inch wrench up to make some last minute adjustments but besides that you're you got what you got and you're going out there and just going as hard as you can for however many laps it is from the drop of the green to the finish because if you don't if you stay even if you stay where you are you might not even be in a qualifier with only 112 cars making it to a qualifier if you start on the pole when your heat race you could very well be buried into a qualifier yeah, I wanted to ask you about the passing point situation there and how important it is. I mean, I know you're a young driver, but I think, man, we could have a lot of shows probably talking about stuff like this uh, for it or against it. And I know that there, you know, whether it's Lucas Oil or some other sprint car tour nationally, I know the passing points for some reason are uh, are sometimes the norm in sprint car racing. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think, I think the whole passing point deal is great. It, I mean, all formats have their ups and downs. Um, the qualifying thing kind of has its downside where if you, if you're good, you're good, sets up your whole night. But if you have something little go wrong or you just barely miss your mark, you're behind eight ball already. And then the whole passing points deal, I think it's a pretty good format because you, you ran, it's pretty much a random draw. Just going, you go out there and you try and pass as many cars as you can. It kind of, filters out some of the like the beginners and stuff like all the top guys seem to rise to the top and the whole passing points deal um but if you were if you go to some place like the shootout and you draw the pole for your heat race or you start on the pole for your qualifier and you back up you very well could find yourself in lower main fast now darren you need to prove me wrong on something because i've I'm an old time racer, right? I always think that the guy guys that finish first, second, or third um, should be the ones moving on. Um, how does that feel if you finish second and somebody finishes third or fourth, but they've passed five or six cars? They got more points than you have. I, I that's prove me wrong because I I haven't grasped that part yet. Yeah, I mean, passing cars is pretty much your whole whole race. If you don't go out there and pass cars or win your heat from the front you're buried and you kind of know what, what's going to happen going in. If you start on the front row, there's always going to be people that have way more points than you just because they've started eighth or ninth or 10th. Like Blake Honda this weekend, he started 10th and came all the way to the front and that set him up for his whole week. Started on a pole, the outlaw non-wing show. So really, if you start on the front row, you kind of know that you have to win or else you're buried. Let's uh, talk about it. You ran two divisions, um, and and I think that your week can be best summed up as close but not not close enough, uh, or close but no cigar for those of you in the Rich France era. Um, here's the thing: you are racing against some of the best in the country, and but also you're racing against people that have never been there before, or they're very competitive, and they make mistakes. And uh, uh, I think that you know probably. You might wonder about the one that got away, getting caught up in somebody else's mess that uh, kind of really relegated you back in your chances to get to the A-Main. Take me through your weekend. Yeah, I um, had a lot of speed, just really cool, in my opinion. Um, just coming right off the gate practice day, I felt pretty good, but had some unfortunate draws, like uh, in the outlaw non-wing deal, uh, drew the second heat of the day. So out there right away on a fresh racetrack, it was just, Camera down, but that's kind of that's kind of my week in that division. Just starting at the back of a, one of the early heat races it was pretty hammered down. So I felt like I had a lot of speed in that car, but it was um, it was just a draw in my opinion that held us back in that one. 
And then the two wing divisions that I ran, I felt really good in. Um, past cars, every time I hit the racetrack in those, and the outlaw, or the outlaw wing was in kind of a heartbreaker, but that's just indoor racing. And then my other non-wing division, I was in one of the first heat races again the next morning. So I went forward, like the fifth, but it just wasn't enough to get me into qualifiers. So it was in front of the C-Main, and then in that one, I got from, I think it was 13th or 14th to fifth, and they took two, and it was just a green to check the day. So we were good in all our divisions. We three of the D-Mains was two spots out of making the show and and one of the in two of the divisions uh three spots out in another one and then a fourth division i got caught up in early accident and i heat race and got back to where i started and that put me in a d main so i transferred out of that and made it into the c and um just had a lot of speed but not enough now, talk to me about there's there's one thing that I've noticed and, and you know, an announcers will kind of play with it and, and have some fun with it. And that's flip count. Um, I noticed <laughs> these things go over. At, I mean, a little gust of wind and these things flip over. Um, what makes you want to get involved with cars that go over that easy? Because I think the flip count this last week was over 80, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um Sprint cars, in my opinion, will go over way easier than a micro. You can you know, bang wheels pretty hard and stuff. Um, obviously, you don't want to go out there tearing yourself up, but at a big race, like the shootout, you kind of have to make your own hole sometimes. Um, and sometimes you're going to get upside down. That's just that's just the, uh, the competition part of it. You never know what you're going to get, and you just go out there and try your best and be 110 percent every time you hit the racetrack. One of the coolest things I saw, Darren, was there were sometimes. I mean, I, I would watch it for three or four hours at a time, and you know there'd be ten or twelve cars flip, and some of them <laughs> would drive away, which I have never seen in any other form of racing, and just go to the tail and start all over again. Yeah, um, one of the people's actually me. I got upside down in that <laughs> outlaw qualifier. It's an interesting, interesting little accolade. Yeah, I flipped over and kept racing. Pretty cool. <laughs> Dale Earnhardt did it once. I can do it too. Yeah. Um, I was really good in that race. I went 11th to 5th by halfway. And Brady Bacon and Gary Taylor and I can't remember who else it was, but we were all racing hard. Um, just super hard racing. And... Gary Taylor broke in front of me and kind of came off the racetrack um, just because he broke a right front steering arm and the thing, when we was turning to the left, and he was turning to the right, so that I kind of got wrapped up in there, got into the fence and upside down. And as soon as they flipped me back over, I asked, is, is everything great? Because I've seen it many times before where somebody gets up upside down and just keeps on keeps on trucking so i went over to the hot pit my dad my uncle steve and everybody else that was helping us out was, was over there waiting uh they get to work and everything was all right the wing was pretty top wing was pretty mangled but so that was that's a big part in the whole wing aspect um so we tried to straighten that out as best as we could and i got back on the race track so I want to yeah. I want to talk to you about the opportunity that you had this week. Uh, you know, is for for the better part of your career, you've been racing family owned equipment, family operated equipment. Hills Racing Team put you in uh, their cars for this weekend um, alongside uh, uh, Mason, and I just lost his last name. What a professional podcaster I am! Um, what help me out? What was his last name? Mason Hannigan. Yeah, thank you. Hannigan, geez. Uh, how do you forget that name when you're talking about uh, dirt track racing? So anyhow, Hills Racing Team puts you guys in their cars. This is the same team that's, uh, that's, uh, that fielded a car for Sam Haverteef Jr. this year, Dylan Westbrook, uh, who is a name that we saw a lot around Michigan. 
Talk about the importance of, of working with that team in the way that you did. How, how, how did that come together, and, and how, how was that relationship over this past week? Yeah, so my dad raced for them for the last 10-ish years of his career. Um, and when I was a kid, I always wanted to race for them. And when we went down to Millbridge at the end of this year, uh, Miles got together with us and said he wanted to try and work something out for the shootout. So we, we were really excited to have that opportunity and have Hills Racing, Townline Variety, Bear Paw Convenience, all of them on board. Um, they were a huge part of our shootout. Um, yeah, they, they were pretty big this week. And I really just wanted to go out and perform for them just because they were coming on board big time just for this one event. So, um, yeah, I really just wanted to go out and try and race even harder. So as I said in the opening, uh, you got a birthday coming up next week, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so you're going to be 16 years old from what I understand, right? You're 15 now. Um, what are you looking to do? How, how much longer? Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming you want to move into 360s at least to move into that and, and move up the, the ladder in sprint car racing, right? Yeah, uh, actually, I'm 14 right now, and I'm going to be turning 15 here in, in a couple of days. And um, our, I think next year we're going we're gonna to go – 410 short track racing. Um, not really sure where we're going to go yet. Kind of just waiting for schedules to come out. And we'll see what everybody's doing. And Attica and Tremont's pretty close to us, so we'll for sure do a couple couple of races there. Um, but right now, we don't really have anything put together now this, uh, beyond that for next year. This is, uh, this is big news uh, because we saw you make – um, a start last year, Rich. I'm stealing your stat. I, I really didn't want to do this, but I'm going to go do ahead. It. I did all it. the work. You can say it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. We we saw you make a 360 start last year uh, at Tri City. Held your own on a tough racetrack with uh, a lot of cars there as well. Now you're going to go. You're going to go right. <laughs> excuse me. Going to go right to 410s. No 305s. No 360 seasons. Going right to 410s. Uh, your thoughts on 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 making that jump? Yeah. Um... 360s was a big thing that we thought about, and we thought about doing a whole 305 field, but Attica Fremont has their own rules, and then there's the whole race season deal, and then everywhere else you want to go is different, so that we kind of steered away from that, because if you do that, you're just held down to two or three tracks, and then the 360 deal we thought about, well, we sat down and talked to some big, some big people that influenced us in the um, going for 10 racing like Joe Gertie and Paul Kessler and a couple other drivers um, they thought that it was just best to go right to four times so we kind of listened to them and just went that way Darren, um, Darren I gotta tell you uh, I have been told to keep an eye on you because uh, some folks believe and I'm quoting now that you could be the next big thing in, in dirt track racing. Uh, let me see here. Uh, the direct quote is, I think he's going to be the best sprint car driver to come out of Michigan in a long time, end quote. Um, what what can you tell me about, about this deal? Uh, are you racing for your family? Can you tell me what you're racing? Can you tell me where this car came from? Uh, are those sort of details available right now, or, or are we still trying to put everything together? Yeah, um, we're gonna be in. I'm gonna be in the family car. Um, it's gonna be Susarski excavating and paving. They're, they've been a huge supporter of me the last year, year and a half. Um, and I really wouldn't be where I was without them. They're a huge part in the sprint car racing. They're a huge part in our whole micro program the last year or two. And um, without them, I probably wouldn't be where I was. Um, it's kind of humbling to hear that. Uh, I've wanted to go sprint car racing since I was a little kid. And I dreamed of being a world outlaw driver when I was super little, just being at the racetrack with my with my mom and dad and everybody else. So it's pretty cool to I'm just living my dream. What do you think about the non-wing stuff? You know, you're like you said. You know, your uncle Steve. 
he's done all right with that, I think. Uh, won a race or two here and there, right, Zach? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not bad. <laughs> yeah. Would, would you like to do that? Yeah, it'd be cool to, it'd be cool to try it, but um, I think really if you want to do this as a career and for a living, it makes much more sense to go the wing route. Um, I mean, not to say any of these non-wing drivers are, like, not good or anything. Like, they're super talented. Um, my Uncle Steve, um, everybody that's on a any USAC 410 or really non-wing 410s anywhere, like, that's a super tough deal. It's just wing 410 and non-wing 410, like, they seem like a complete different animal. Uh, I always grew up grew up around the wing stuff, and uh, so I'd love to try some non-wing stuff. I talked to my Uncle Steve a couple times about maybe doing something here or there, but I don't think that I'm going to be doing a whole lot of non-wing stuff, at least here at the beginning of my whole sprint car career. It'd be cool to try it. Um, that looks like a ton of fun. Really, any race looks like a ton of fun to me, you know. I know you're waiting for the schedules to come out, but I can only imagine that uh, that sprint car fans in southern central Michigan are going to get a chance to see you at Michigan's fastest 3 eighths high-banked oval. Um, and because your family has been so integral in that place for so long with all the history with Saad and then with what your dad did in sprint car racing, uh, I can only imagine we're going to get to see a start out of you at Butler at some point this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or maybe not. not. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreaching. I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm not I'm not really sure about what our whole plans are right now. I know we're going to go short track for a generation. Um, cause really, there's not a whole lot of wing 410 racing in Michigan right, right. now anyway. Yeah, yeah, and that was, that was kind of why I was a little bit surprised at the 410 decision because it is hard to find racing up here. Uh, but you know what? Where you're at in Adrian, it's, a like you said, a quick little jaunt south to get down to Attica or somewhere down there that's running 410s. Yeah, so there's not really a lot of 410 racing in Michigan. And then Ohio is huge, and I don't really have any any performance-related goals going into this year. I'm just going to try and go out and do my best every single night, drive to the best of my ability, and we're just going to try and work on uh, getting me comfortable in it uh, all year long and just improving. I don't have anything performance-related. Darren Nida, we we could continue to talk about this for probably another 20 minutes, but uh, our boss wants us to try to keep the show around an hour, at least within 15, 20 minutes of it. (laughs) So, uh, Darren, man, we are going to keep a close eye on you. Really excited about your opportunities to go 410 sprint car racing. I also want to give you an opportunity. You've kind of mentioned it throughout the show, but this is your time to put a spotlight on those people who have helped you and continue to help you, whether it's sponsors or uh, the people who are turning wrenches for you. Yeah, um, I gotta thank everybody who's helped me along the way. Uh, Exciting and Paving has obviously been a huge part of everything in the last year and a half, and me going sprint car racing, they've been a huge part. I think Patrick Poor Racing, um, he's been a huge help, uh, just with small things like tires, and then like he comes to the racetrack, and it's just a huge help. Um, like I think Ackland Insurance for coming on board big time for our sprint car program this coming year. Uh, I got to thank my Uncle Steve just for all his help. Obviously, my mom and dad because I wouldn't be doing any of this without them. And just everybody up to this helps us along the way. Uh, I got to thank all of them. Darren Nida, the young man out of Adrian, Michigan, happy birthday, and happy birthday to sprint car fans. You're getting young blood in 410 racing and, again, a talent that we're going to keep our eye on for a long time. Darren, man, congratulations on Tulsa. Congratulations on the 410 ride. Good luck this season, all right? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, again, our appreciation to Darren for joining us tonight on the show. We have some business to take care of that we had to put off last week because, quite frankly, we were just out of time. Gary, did you know, is the, is the program that we have once a month that quizzes your Great Lakes region racing knowledge from years gone by. Uh, Gary Lindahl, the Michigan Motorsports Hall of Famer, this program started back in the printed paper days where you would actually, you know, you would have... 
tangible paper that you'd have to flip through to get the racing news. The Mark uh, Times. Yes. Uh, yep. So now we've kind of incorporated that into the horsepower happenings over about the last six or seven months. It's been a lot of fun to uh, to quiz the folks on what, what happened in years ago history uh, in auto racing. And, and, Rich, sometimes we just simply don't know. So we have to reveal the answers the next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I will tell you, Zach, when, I, when he sent me these, I was like, I don't know any of them this week. Right. Usually I can, usually I can figure out one or two. Um, I, I'm an O for this week. But oh, yeah. We're going to go ahead and read the, we're gonna go ahead and read the, answer, the questions and the answers for, for this week. Uh, we, we've had them up for two weeks, so if you saw them on our Facebook post, you can go back and reference it. But let's go with question number one. We'll kick off with that. Who was the first car owner John Logan drove for? I, I had no idea. And I didn't either. Though I, I'm familiar with the Logan name just because of that's the way it's spelled from uh, Corgan Oil and Spartan. So I was familiar sure. with that. But I think this was his father probably um, who, who drove. So the answer was Stan Van Splinter. And this question, uh, Gary said, was submitted by by fan Fred Otterbahn. So, oh, um, awesome! Fans submitted that question to Gary. So we know at least two people knew what it was, right? All right, way to go! <laughs> hey, I think, and also feel free to do that if you want to drop us a line on the Horsepower Happenings Facebook page. If you have a uh, trivia question you'd like us to incorporate, let us know, and we'll try to, uh, to to include it in the show. Yeah, absolutely. All right, question number two: This driver, Cliff Jones, raced Spartan. What was his favorite car and number? So what did he drive and what was his car number? No no idea. I had nothing for this either. So the answer is late model and number 32. Yeah, I'd never come up with that. N never nope. in a million years. Didn't even know Cliff Jones. I knew Cliffy from Friends, but I didn't <laughs> know Cliff Jones. That's about all I had. Okay, let's go. Question number three. At least I know the name in this question. Right. Uh, before he raced, Hurry and Hank Lauer crewed for this driver. You probably and, and I remember you when we read this the first time. You said, "Well, I didn't even know he crewed before he started racing." Harry and Hank Lauer, Hurry and Hank Lauer, as everybody knows, is an absolute legend in sprint car racing. And this just proves you got to start somewhere. I say was he is a legend in sprint car racing. This just proves you got to start somewhere. I wouldn't know. I know he, he crewed. No, he just hopped in a sprint car and was great. Uh, who, yeah. did, who, who did he work for? All right. The answer is Larry Zimmerman, who raced Sportsman Modifieds. I've never heard of Sportsman Modifieds, so that had to have been 60s, 70s. I maybe, tell you what, right? they were a really fun looking automobile that uh, were popular at Butler Motor Speedway. It was it was kind of that crossover where Modifieds were coming around and sprint cars were taking taking precedent and. It basically was, they, they kind of looked like big block modifieds with a sprint car wing on the top of them. It's kind of what they looked like. Uh, really a unique uh, animal. And I got to say, uh, shout out to Douglas Zimmerman, who sent us a Facebook message and, and got that question right. Larry Zimmerman. Uh, so nice job, Doug. He better have gotten it right. <laughs> <if> it was... <laughs> he was kind of a shoe in on that one. Yeah, you would think so. So let's go. To, let's go, Zach, to question number four, and this is the one that I said that Ed Heiser would get. And That's, this is, and he did. This is the one. He did, did he get it? And he took a swing at it. He took a swing at it, but he did not get it correct. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I thought I thought we had one in the family on this one. I know. But who was the announcer? Gary Lindahl replaced at Butler Motor Speedway. Now, Doug also took a swing at this one because Doug, uh, in my opinion, should go in a, some sort of Butler Motor Speedway Hall of Fame. He said Jim Benson, which is a great guess because that name is very synonymous with Butler, but that's not what we were looking for. Nope. The answer we were looking for is Larry Hartell. Yeah, I would not have come up with that. And, and I wouldn't have either because I didn't really follow. I mean, I, I met Gary after. I didn't even know Gary when he was... At Spartan, I met Gary after he was already announcing at Flat Rock. Oh, so, okay, yeah. Uh, I just get to. I'm, I'm just one of. The, it's so. That's what's the cool thing is to work with him on a weekly basis. Is like you know, usually when we're over after we're done announcing and and we're able to sit down and have a couple Pepsi, Zach. Um, there's usually a different story every week that he talks about, and he's got a million of them. Of course. So um, you know, I could listen to him for ten years and probably not hear the second, you know, an, a second story 
you know, the same one twice, probably. But then if we have too many Pepsis, I hear the same ones all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Gary, did you know, is uh, once a month here on Horsepower Happenings, what is it, about the third Monday uh, of the month? Third Monday of the month, we'll have him, yep, so a couple more weeks, uh, and we'll have Gary back on. Awesome. So look for that coming up here in a couple of weeks on Horsepower Happenings, and you can drop your answers in the uh, Horsepower Happenings Facebook page, or you can submit your own questions that you'd like Gary to feature, and we'll get them to him, and we'll see if he uh, elects to put them in. Gary, did you know? Rich France, the upcoming calendar as we bring the show to a close is starting to heat back up in the month of January. You know, I noticed that when I started looking for this week's upcoming, I was like, we actually have a few items worth putting on here. Yeah. So... So we have to hit the big one coming up. Uh, let's start with indoors, right? A uh, couple of indoor events that we have coming up that we're going to mention. Chili Ball Nationals starting next Monday, January 10th through the 15th. We'll preview that one next Monday on the show. All right. Uh, right back at the Tulsa Expo Center once again. And also, Zach, racing each night can be streamed on flow racing awesome now once we uh get done with that we're going to be talking about michigan auto racing fan club awards banquet we're excited to be attending that on excuse me saturday january 15th you're running out of time to get tickets and we did find out this week tickets will not be available at the door so you need to get those tickets in advance for tickets email president at m-a-r-f-c dot org that's president at marfk or michigan auto racing fan club all put into a you know scrunch together marfc.org uh if you would like to get your tickets because they will not be available at the door and then now, remember we uh, yeah i remember we talked to bill if send him an email send him a ch- let him know you're sending them uh he'll send him the check and he'll have them for you at the door yeah if you pay but we're not we're not selling, selling they're not them. selling any tickets at the door that's right and then all of a sudden rich we're looking to some outdoor racing happening around the country. Well, last year, if you remember right, I made my way out to this Yes, event. you did. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I went out there. Uh, can't make it this year, unfortunately. The 16th annual Wild West shootout, uh, obviously the kickoff for the Dirt Late models and the Modifieds outdoors. Uh, different racetrack this year. This is January 8th through the 16th. So that starts next week as well. Um, Vado Speedway Park in New Mexico right outside of El Paso, Texas. And I mean, by right outside, I mean 10 minutes outside throw. of El Paso. So if you ever want, if you want to go down to uh, the Wild West shootout, you're looking for a plane ticket to El Paso. That will get you there. That'll get you. You could uh, walk, you could walk from the airport. <laughs> from what I saw on the map, you almost could. It's not that far away. Oh, <laughs> but, man. Uh, but yeah, so they're going to be having that there. That was great. Uh, Jonathan Davenport last year took home all the money. Almost all the money. Turbo picked up a couple events, but Davenport walked out of there with over $56,000 last year uh, in Phoenix. Uh, We'll see if he's going to be able to do it in New Mexico this year. And uh, also, again, this year, Dirt on Dirt will provide all of the PPV options. That'll be a good event. And then, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're just a few weeks away from Speed Weeks kicking off down in uh, uh, Florida and Georgia and all that sort of stuff. And then we really get into it with a brand new season of Horsepower Happenings in February, and that'll kick us off officially into 2022 and season four of the show. Uh, I can't believe it. I'm, you got to help me here real quick, Zach. Why, my math is a little bit off. This is episode 50 yes. as we were preparing. We got four weeks left in January. How did we get two weeks off? Do we have two extra episodes that we did this year? Well, or here's what I, know. Did- I, I I think it was a leap year. Uh, so I don't know. I'll blame that on one of them. <laughs> uh, maybe there was a fifth Sunday in there somewhere. I, 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 I have no idea. Because <laughs> I thought I always thought there was 52 weeks in a year. So. <sighs> We started counting episodes, and now we're going to have 54 this year. So I was reminded uh, that I that we didn't get our annual one day off. We usually take a show off the past two seasons. That's right. And we, we did not this and year, did we? We didn't this year, so that may be contributing as well. <laughs> okay, that, that would probably do it then. <laughs> Folks, I uh, want to say thanks again to Darren for joining us on the show tonight. Watch out for that young kid, man, going 410 Sprint Car Racing. I don't think it's going to take but maybe a month before he's comfortable and is going to be competing for wins in 410 sprints. 
Uh, if Steve is turning the wrenches and doing the crew chiefing or at least helping back at the shop in some way, I think that's going to be a dangerous team in sprint car racing, so keep an eye on it. And uh, I really do appreciate that. Thanks to Derek for contributing to tonight's show with the uh, roundup on the Tulsa shootout. Thanks, of course, to Rich France for all the work that he does. And our thanks go out to Scott Menlin, who pays the bills for Horsepower Happenings. I'm Zach Heiser. Happy New Year once again. We'll talk same time, same place next week right here. It's Horsepower Happenings. You've been listening to Horsepower Happenings. Catch up on past episodes by logging on to horsepowerhappenings.com. And be sure to tune in next week to keep up on what's happening.